Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of the Southpaw Slice. And over the weekend, Canada secured a berth into the Davis Cup Finals in November with a 3-2 win over Slovakia. That happened down in Bratislava. And to join us, our special guest this week, reporter from Sportsnet, one of the best in the country, Arash Madani, was there. And Arash, I'd like to start. Considering that we had such an absolute dud of a Super Bowl 53 uh, yesterday, <laughs> does it make you that much more happy that you got to spend your time in Bratislava and, instead of covering Super Bowl 53? Well, it's funny because I think it's now been four or five ties um, over the years, guys, that I've chosen Davis Cup over the Super Bowl. And I've never regretted the decision um, at all. In fact, you know, covering Davis Cup is one of my favorite things of the year. But... Um, the one Super Bowl I would say of them all that would have been cool to have been there for was two years ago when the Pats came down from 28-3. Yes. Um, <laughs> but but uh, beyond that, it was... I thought Frank Dancevich said it best. He said it's, it's the best win he's ever been a part of. And Frank has won the Davis Cup Commitment Award, is you know, committed to Davis Cup 30 times in his career. And for him to say that, I thought that's pretty extraordinary. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to wanted to ask you basically what what you asked Felix just from from the sidelines watching uh, a nineteen year old and eighteen year old playing in in every single match and pushing this team through. How did they do this? Well, well, they did it because you know Dennis and Felix delivered. But ultimately, I'll say this, guys, is that at a time now where Rounich didn't play and Pospisil was injured and Nestor is gone, Dennis Shapovalov fully took over the leadership reins of that Davis Cup team. This is the third time in four Davis Cup ties he's been Canada's number one singles player. He's only 19, but you wouldn't know it. And from a pick-your-guys-up standpoint, from being on the bench standpoint, from understanding what this whole thing is about, you know, Slovakia's captain, Dominic Harbati, came out this week and said, or last week, said, well, no Raonic, no Pospisil, we're the favorites. And Dennis said, oh, yeah? No, that's not the case at all. He said, that motivated me. He said, I glared at her body a few times. I told the guys on our bench, I told the guys in the locker room, this is not how it's going to be. And then on Saturday morning, this really stood out to me, fellas, that after Felix lost on Friday, he was pretty disappointed. And on Saturday, they start with doubles. And Oje Ali's team was out a good three hours before the match, warming up and whatever. And he was incredibly tight, already dialed in, and you could see the nerves were there, that the, oh, man, this is all on us kind of thing. And Dennis sensed that, and Dennis understood that and immediately took the air out of the balloon. He made things light. He got everybody joking. He had everybody relaxed quickly. And I know he's only 19, and I know it's just starting in his career, but what I noticed this year was a kid who in the last two, three years is really understanding and embracing the whole thing. 
And that, that stood out to me more than anything else we saw on the tennis court from Shapovalov over the weekend. That's great to hear for Canadian tennis fans and Tennis Canada as well. And, and you've been covering Arash, you've been covering Dennis since the start, really, for him as a professional tennis player. Are you surprised by how quickly we're seeing him evolve, not just on the tennis court, but to speak to all the stuff off the court and just having that uh, sort of know-how and, and just sixth sense to pick up on those things and, and take on a leadership role on such a young Davis Cup team so, so early in his career already here? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's surprised. I, I just don't think any of us really knew how this kid was dialed up and what he's about. And we're watching these kids kind of evolve right before our very eyes. And that Dennis had the breakthrough that he did so quickly and that things came so fast at him, you know, all of a sudden. I mean, he beats Nadal, and the next thing you know, he went from playing challengers and futures the six months prior to suddenly being on the 500 and 1,000 circuit train and, and slams right after. And, and you just don't know how he's going to deal with it. But it was, I thought the real interesting thing that Dennis revealed a lot this week in our sit-down interview, and a bunch of it aired on Sportsnet. But he said that coming into the year, he just, he just felt the pressure. He, he heard the noise. He felt the expectations that were coming. And it really weighed on him. And then he loses in the first round in Auckland to a guy that he thought, there was no way I should be losing to him. And he said, okay, to hell with this. I have to clear my mind. I have to get away from that pressure. And he said to himself, you don't have to, you don't have to be something that everybody else thinks you are. And he said, I wanted to come out, love being on the court and just competing and he was able to do that. And he says he's a lot more loose now. And he really figured out kind of what he wants to achieve in life and achieve in his career. And, you know, he said, look, I do want to win Grand Slams down the road. But he said, I fell off the path. And all of a sudden, it felt like work for me. I felt those expectations. I, I lost the enjoyment part of it. And after that loss in Auckland, he said, to hell with that. He said, I'm having a lot more fun out there now. And he said, I'm a lot more relaxed. And he said, that's helping me in my tennis. It's helping me in my career. and It's helping me in my life. And I'm just looking through the, the matches uh, themselves. Uh, obviously, when he was facing Martin Klezan, it was really one of the most critical rubbers there. And Klezan was the best player, obviously, on Slovakia, former top 30, a guy who, who beat Novak Djokovic last year, who's won titles. And then you're thinking about the atmosphere. He's on the team, too, on clay, guys. Don't forget that. No, that's right. Uh, Dominic team as well. Um, and then you're looking at facing that atmosphere. Like, I'm trying to, I guess, avoid <laughs> sounding cliche of saying, is he just coming with a, an aura of confidence? Is he just mature beyond his years? Or, or it's, is it sort of pure belief that uh, he, he thinks he can really compete and beat anybody? Well, he does have the, you know, he does have the belief and and compete. I mean, Klejan's forehand, first of all, is ridiculous. Secondly, Dennis won three more points than Klejan the whole afternoon. I mean, it was as it was as close a match as you're going to get, and they're, you know, they're neck and neck. Last year in St. Petersburg, Dennis is up a set in five three, and he ends up losing it. This time, he gets the better of him. So. Shapovalov played a real good match. There's no question there. But I think if we start getting on, you know, it's easy to get ahead of ourselves in the whole narrative train. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, Shapo made, you know, a couple of critical 
really converted in a couple critical situations, including in the first set tie break when let cord, Quijan hits a shot, goes off the let cord. Shapovalov somehow manages to get his racket on it, goes off the let cord, and it goes in. And that, that kind of took him on to win the tie break. So some things went his way, but I, you know, there's no doubt Klijan, who's a very elite player on clay when playing well, to beat him is significant for Dennis. Definitely a big result for for Dennis, and and he did what he you know we hoped he could do in those two two singles matches. But as you mentioned, Felix was tight. He had big pressure on his shoulders after dropping his first singles match, and also the doubles one. Uh, he showed us something too, very very important in that decisive victory. And for those of us here in Canada, casual tennis fans and whatnot, you know he's not nearly as well known as Dennis. hasn't had that big sort of you know uh, welcoming moment uh, in the last couple of years like Dennis has. What, what did you notice about Felix uh, in his performance in that crucial and decisive fifth rubber? A few things. I think, you know, if you take the macro look at it, you saw somebody who was a little more composed. He still had his emotional outbursts. He's 18 years old. <laughs> um, that, that's, you know, I just keep repeating this because from a maturity standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, from an understanding standpoint, but that he was able to do it was big. He had that, he got that taste of it. He understood how big it is. But what I really liked about what Felix said coming into this week is he said, look, I I have no ranking goals this year. He said last year about the midway point of the season, I wasn't looking at the right objectives. He said, I was searching for results fast. He said, I was a little bit impatient. And he said, I got away from the process of things. Now, it's different. He's, he's, he's not even concerned about that. And when you think about what's coming up for him, guys, he's going to Buenos Aires. He's got Rio. He's got Sao Paulo. So he's got three ATP clay events. From a ranking standpoint, if you want to go down that road, he's only got one first-round win at Indian Wells to defend points-wise for the next little bit. So he'll be top 100 soon. But when you speak to him, he's not really talking about that. He's pointing out the adjustments he made on his serve, for instance, that the ball toss wasn't consistent. So that was a big part of what they worked on the offseason. But he made a shoulder rotation to the serve because they found his body was too open and he was too much in front, so he wasn't getting as much power on the serve. That he's adding a slice backhand to his game. That they just went through buckets and buckets of, of balls to improve his volleys at the net. So when you talk to Felix about who and what he is right now, he's talking about evolving but he's talking about improving and he's not talking about results. So I think when you kind of add all those up, those are some real good signs for a young kid. Now, finally playing ATP tournaments in year two as a pro. You're listening to the Southpaw slice. You can find us on Twitter at Southpaw underscore slice. Our guest this week, Arash Madani, you can find him on Twitter as well at Arash Madani. Uh, now, obviously, this this is just a different look, uh, Team Canada, than we've ever had, given that Daniel Nestor is not there. And we didn't have a double specialist in Bratislava. Vashik Pospisil uh, was still rehabbing a back injury, underwent surgery. But if we put together the full configuration of this team, even minus Daniel Nestor, you have Milos Raonic joining, and we all know how elite he has been and had a pretty good start at the Australian Open to his season as well. You put in a healthy Vashik Pospisil, Suddenly, this Canadian team, even with two teenagers, looks to me like a maybe a top 10, top 8 country in the world in tennis. Could be. Could be. And depth, you know, finally they have a little bit, which is a real important 
part and something you absolutely need. Because inevitably, between now and November, somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to hit a wall. Somebody's going to have a setback. Somebody's going to be dealing with some adversity. And the way the new format for Davis Cup is going to work when you get to the finals is each day there will be two singles matches and a doubles match. So if you have Pospisil, for instance, that changes the dynamic. Raonic could conceivably even play with Pospisil. Or there's Dennis. You know, if, if the, the key to this whole thing, though, guys, is Milos has to play, and Milos has to be healthy. And if he is, they have a real chance of doing some damage. And if he doesn't, it's going to be very difficult. And it's been the same issue for the last number of years. I mean, Raonic has played the one tie since, since Japan 2015. He was hurt for Belgium in the quarterfinals that year. He's been on and off the roster. But if Raonic plays, and Michael Downey, the president of Tennis Canada, assured me that Milos wants to and that he will, barring injury in November in Madrid, that's huge. That's huge for where this program wants to go and where it could be headed. Because if you have Raonic as your number one singles player and Shapovalov as number two, now suddenly for Frank Dancevich, there, there are options. And so that, that's why you have to be encouraged. But miles to go before November and a lot can change but uh, but the depth is the key point of all. It's reassuring to hear that Milos is, is so committed to making it happen if he is healthy it, it is kind of unfortunate in a sense now that you know just in terms of the hype we've got to wait almost 10 months until there's any more Davis Cup action. Did you get a sense from either you know Frank Dancevich or, or Michael Downey or Tennis Canada people, players themselves how they feel about this new format? It was just hard to because it all it all happened so fast. Guys, guys didn't guys weren't fans of it last fall when they were in Toronto at Rico. And then the one thing I found about this, I don't know, guys, if it was just two days, not three, or best of three, not best of five, but it almost felt like you blinked and day one was over. And then once the Canadians lost the doubles match, they were up against it. And there was just kind of so much drama and then just the kind of exhale after and the, you know, just the celebration after that nobody really talked format. But you guys know how tennis is, right? I mean, as, mu- as much as they enjoyed it, they woke up the next morning and I saw Felix and Dennis the next day and Felix was going to South America and I had to connect through Paris on a 14-hour flight to Argentina. And Dennis had a connecting flight to Montpellier and the beat goes on. Yeah, on to the next so, one. And and having an 18 and 19-year-old, you know, playing in, in all of the matches, all of the rubbers, as was the plan, probably best that it was best out of three that they didn't burn themselves out in a long, you know, exhausting five-set doubles match. Not just that. I think mentally it, it gets taxed in two in a best of five. And they're used to it in a Grand Slam, of course, but you get, you know, a day off in between. Dennis more than Felix. Um, if if you had a three-day tournament that was a best of five and in that crowd and some of the mind games that Clijan and, and the captain, Dominic Herbati, were were kind of playing along with, I, I'm, not, I'm just, you know, who knows how it unfolds. Um, but, man, I you know, you saw another episode, another instance of these two kids growing up a little bit. And I'm just, I'm just really... If you're a Canadian tennis fan, you had to be encouraged by what you saw from Shapovalov on court. And what, if you watch the broadcast, what you heard from him in those interviews. 
because I remember where Dennis was two years ago before that Ottawa tie when we sat down. And there, there is a, there's a newfound understanding and maturity and, and, and a lot of other things that it's hard to find out of 19-year-old athletes regardless of sport. It's and it's just incredible, as you said, how how quickly it it all unfolded. Being down two one after dropping the doubles match, and you have to get right back out there and, and get two singles wins. And as you uh, so perfectly captured with Felix in that on court interview, uh, he called it the best moment of his life. And it's kind of uh, yeah. incredible that uh, these players so quickly have to make a turnaround from the best moments of their lives to continue playing tennis. Uh, but you know, not only on the men's side are we seeing these magnificent stories on the women inside as well. Uh, Bianca Andreescu, of course, what she's uh, put together in 2019, reaching the finals of the Auckland Classic, a nice run in Australia as well, and then getting her first WTA title. Uh, and she'll be supporting Fed Cup. Uh, she'll be the top player for Canada at Fed Cup. Um, I guess w- <laughs> what can you even say for, for Canadian tennis fans in terms of following along with this wave of players in, in terms of expectations, how should we approach it? I suppose. Cautiously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, I, I get the world we now live in. It's instantaneous. And how many characters now? 280 characters and, and whatever. And we just want things right away. And somebody actually made the point to me. Somebody said to me after Australia, they said, uh, well, is Dennis ever going to get it done? And I just kind of looked at them. I'm like, the kid's 19, and he ran <laughs> into the most unstoppable player in the game at the moment. Like, what are you expecting from people? Yeah, I, You have to be very encouraged with where this is right now and where it could be going, but give it time. And, and one thing I really like that Shapovalov said is, he said, you know me. He said, my goal is to win multiple Grand Slams. He said, I know it's not going to happen for the next couple of years. Amen, Dennis. Amen that you've understood that, that you're not going to put you know, unnecessary pressure on yourself, that you're not going to view things as total disappointment if you're not lifting the trophy, which you aren't. His goal this season is to win one ATP Tour title. At some, on, you know, at some city, somewhere, to lift that trophy. So Andreescu's just getting started. She's going to have to learn. It's a totally different animal the second weekend of a slam and into the weekend of an ATP or a WTA tournament once you get to the semis and the final. And so it's a good start. You've got to be very encouraged by, by you know, Chapovalov being top 25 and and Felix about to crack top 100, and Bianca, what is she, 75 or so in the world right now? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just the beginning. And just let this thing play out, and hopefully they stay healthy, and hopefully they improve. Yeah, well said. Hey, uh, Arash, you've been covering tennis for quite a while now, but I know it wasn't the first sport among the many that you cover that you got into. How much are you enjoying this from the media side and, and watching the growth and development? How much fun is it for you you know, in terms of the, the tennis events and the personalities you encounter compared to, say, some of the other sports that, that you're regularly doing? I don't know about comparing, Mike, but, but I just I really enjoy the individual stories that each of these athletes have. And once you especially get in at the ground level with a, with a guy like Milos and Vashik and now with, with, with Dennis and Felix, 
to know where they started and the, the things that they're going through and some of the hardships and adversity they're dealing with and where they're focusing on their games and just seeing them grow up before our eyes, it, there's something kind of neat to that. And one of my favorite weeks of the year is Rogers Cup because it kind of all kind of comes to a head between the Canadians and the best players in the world. Think of the treats just the last two years or the last three years. 16 Djokovic wins. 17 Shapovalov gets to the semifinals on a remarkable run knocking out Nadal. And in 18, Nadal, Nadal wins. So what you think about the best players in the world, the emergence of Canadians, um, it, it's all been really cool, and I just, I just truly believe this. If Felix Ojealiasim stays healthy, and he had a cryoblation procedure in the off season because of the heart issues that, that you saw he dealt with at the U.S. Open, and the palpitations haven't come back, but he he says doctors have told him it's not a hundred percent that he's out of the woods. But if Felix can keep that heart condition under control, and he stays healthy. I truly believe this kid has the makings to be a real champion. Now, he has to go out and do it. You know, Raonic's timing has been tough. Raonic's health issues have been tough. But the coolest part of this whole thing is seeing these kids start from the, start from the beginning, watch them become what they're becoming, and that they're doing it for Canada at times in between, uh, I think it's just all the better. Arash, thank you so much uh, for joining us and giving uh, such a wonderful perspective and just amazing coverage all week in, in Bratislava. We really appreciate it. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. Take care. That was Arash Madani, reporter for Sportsnet. And as always, just incredible insight into what we saw what transpire over the week in Bratislava, Slovakia, with, as he said, a 19-year-old and 18-year-old guiding Canada to a 3-2 win over Slovakia. And it's just... Uh, just incredible how he, he speaks to kind of kind of in depth the the maturity and poise that both of these players are are showing on court and you get that front front uh, view picture that he got so perfectly. Yeah, I mean, eighteen and nineteen years old, it's it's kind of easy to forget what life is like at, at that stage. You're going through so many changes, uh, you know, just in life in general and figuring out how to be an adult. I mean, I didn't feel like an adult at eighteen, nineteen. There's no way I could have navigated my way around the world week in week out, let alone dealing with the successes and the highs and the lows and, and whatnot that they're dealing with as professional athletes. But I think, yeah, if you look at what Dennis has done in the two years since he had that stirring run in Montreal, and you look at how Felix is handling himself so far in the early stages of his professional career, you, you can't be anything but but super impressed with how both of them are conducting uh, themselves and and learning as they as they go as professionals. So it's it's great to hear them, you know, talking the talk. And then, uh, obviously, they've had the great results on, on court together, too, getting to share that as, as, as buddies and emerging talents for Canada. And knock on wood, like Arash said, you know, health is going to be the, the biggest determinant to what happens next with this Canadian team at uh, the Davis Cup Finals in uh, November. Yeah, and uh, as he's pointing out correctly, though, for once, uh, not only do they have a few great players, they have depth as well. Uh, you think about who they sent to this Davis Cup qualifying tie uh, and getting a win is they're sending Denis Shapovalov. Okay, he's their second-ranked player inside the top 30, number 25, and they're the second-best Canadian player. But after that, Felix Ojealiasim still outside the 100, and he's playing every match. Peter Polanski, who's never you know fully broken through at, at the top 
upper levels of the ATP. So you're sending those three and getting a win. What happens when you get Milos, a healthy Milos Raonic involved, a healthy Vashik Pospisil? We know he's had such a tremendous wealth of success in the doubles game that this could be a very, very dangerous team. And and this is also going to be a challenge, and yet albeit a, a great challenge for any nation to have, is having that depth and wondering, okay, how am I best going to employ all of my talent? And that's for Frank Dancevich. Yes to figure out as a somewhat new, obviously, coach, uh, team captain for for the squad. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not needing to go out there and, and give the guys a whole lot of, like, X's and O's, but no. he's more there also to manage, you know, the personalities and create that good, solid vibe amongst the players. And if Milos and Vashik are also healthy and the kids are healthy and ready to go, then where do you best put them? And and that's a challenge that we haven't ever had on the Davis Cup team. It's always been like, okay, here are the it's guys that we've got, we have, right? and we're going to roll with them. And it's going to be kind of interesting. You know, I always like to make hockey comparisons. And on the hockey side of thing, look at like a, a men's Olympic team mm-hmm. and how much depth there is. And guys who are like superstars on their NHL teams have to take a supporting role uh, playing on the fourth line or the third defensive pairing. And and it'll be interesting to see how that works out with Team Canada if everyone's healthy and ready to go in, in no, November. Yeah, and uh, no, it's really now Frank Dancevic gets to sort of play the role of a manager of a solid baseball team. How do I construct my lineup? What what matchups do I want? Where can I employ this? And it's it's a really, really great option to have when you have two, uh, you know, if not elite, high-level singles players to handle those singles rubbers is going to make a huge difference. But as Milo, uh, as Arash said, in regards to Milos Raonic, he has to be healthy. That's going to be uh, the very, very key element to all of this if they want to make a real push. Um, I was just thinking back to 2018, that first world group tie when they played Croatia and lost 3-1. to And uh, they had opportunities, I remember, in that doubles match, actually. I think it was Vashik and Daniel Nestor playing, uh, losing in five sets. But uh, what could have been had Milos Raonic been able to play and compete there? Even if it's on clay, he would have been the best player of that group. It could have made such a difference. Absolutely. And the timing is going to be so important for Canada. For Milos, it's going to be tough because that's going to be at the end of a long season, you know, end of November when most yeah. players have have called it a season they're working on a little rest relaxation mm-hmm. rehab and little injuries getting better uh, the timing is also going to be interesting for Dennis and Felix because that's almost like a full tennis season away how much development and change in their games are we going to see god knows Felix's ranking as Arash mentioned you know he's got so much possibility to add to his ranking because he has so few points to really defend at certain points of the season if he's playing bigger tournaments as well he's got to crack it you know, more points than he would get in an ITF or challenger event. So we're going to see two players in Felix and Dennis who are going to be totally different than what we see right now come November as well. Yeah, and it'll be a great opportunity, I think, for Felix over this uh, next stretch. Uh, Rio Open was on his schedule. Arash named a few, but they were clay court events. And it's unusual. You have a North American player who has better success on the clay surface, but that has been Felix's trajectory so far. The three challenger titles all on the dirt so he can take that one one step further and curious that his focus isn't about the ranking number i think it's about improving as a player i was thinking back to something dennis shapovalov said i believe at the front end of 2018 in terms of results that when you're managing being a young player you have to learn and appreciate a quarterfinal a semifinal of an event because you know, each each event, week in, week out, there's going to be one loser and a few dozen, sorry, one winner and a few dozen losers that you have to sort of, 
compartmentalize these matters when you lose a match. I lost a match, but I had a quarterfinal result. Result That's a positive. I lost a match, but I won two before that. That's a positive. I, th- I think he's been doing a very good job of that. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think one of the goals for 2019 is, hey, let's try and get that, that first tournament, that ter- first tournament victory. Yeah. You know, again, it doesn't have to be week in and week out. It doesn't have to be a whole bunch of them. But I think if he can grab one, maybe a, a 250 tournament uh, to start. And, uh, well, here we go this week. He's going to be playing in uh, Montpellier, France. Yes. And he's got a pretty good pretty good draw, I think. Yeah, I can make mention of it right now. Uh, coming in, he has the number three seed, actually. And we know his matchup because Marcel Granollers defeated Ivo Karlovic in a few tie breaks, of course. Uh, so it will be Denis Shapovalov against Marcel Granollers. And I believe... Correct. They have never played one another, but right. uh, Granollers, he's been on the tour for a handful of years, quite a while, actually, 32 years old. His ranking has slipped outside the 100, and this is a nice draw, which he should be able to navigate. Your top two players here, Dabi Goffin is number two, and Luca Pui coming off that fantastic Australian Open semifinal appearance. He's going to be the top seed here. A couple other names lingering. Tomas Burdick has had a great start to 2019. That could uh, potentially be a semifinal if he were to beat Davy Goffin, we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I think I think for Dennis is going to be uh, challenging to switch surfaces so quickly. Yeah, that's right. He went from hard court to clay court. Now he's going back to hard court, and Granollers already has you know one match under his belt there. And this is something else that's going to be new for Dennis is you know getting seated at some of these tournaments more more frequently, mm-hmm. and and getting that first round by, which sometimes you know maybe it works to his advantage, gives him a little more rest as he's coming in, a little more bit more practice time on the court. But uh, it also means you're coming in against a guy who's already had at least one match, maybe more, if he went through qualifiers. And, uh, I mean, that's all part of, of navigating life as a tennis pro. That's right. A couple other ATP events to just mention. Uh, they are 250 events this week, but a pretty nice draw in Bulgaria at the Sofia Open. Uh, Karen Kachanov, the number one seed, and Stefano Tsitsipas, the number two seed, um, I would certainly argue, and Daniel Medvedev, actually, the number three. I think right there we're listing our three top players of sort of that next generation, still younger, up-and-coming superstars arrived really in a sense because they're both top 15 players uh all all three of them rather are top 15 players it'll be interesting to see what Tsitsipas does uh in terms of ability I guess to win matches he's now going to be expected to win yeah that's the thing with with these guys and they're getting used to it and outside of the slams uh they've started to make those inroads as we've discussed previously and so they've got to have the confidence going into these tournaments uh, you know especially a level 250 tournament that uh, they're now uh, you know, not expected to just get to, you know, deep in these, but they're expected to win these events. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'd be shocked if we see a repeat of last year's champion in in, in Bulgaria, uh, who's world number 99, Mirza Basic, uh, you know, who's who's in the draw as well. Uh, he won the event last year, but, uh, you know, look at these big names that, that he and others are going to have to contend with. These young guns, for sure, uh, they need to assert themselves and grab these titles as they progress towards, you know, more regular results at the Masters 1000 level and progress towards their first Grand Slams, which, you know, it's going to happen one of these years. These are the guys. It's not going to be like these these shock, you know, people coming out of the woodwork. It's going to be the Sissipasses, the Kachanovs, the yes. Medvedevs, who start to yeah. accumulate slams at some point. Yeah, uh, I think it's it really... 
The bigger question is how long is that window going to be before finally, you know, the the Djokovic's, Nadal's and Federer's relinquish this this stranglehold that they've had essentially since 2005? Yeah, that's <laughs> sh- the question. I, yeah, that's the question yeah. right there that nobody has the answer to. <laughs> uh, you're listening to the Southpaw Slice. Find us on Twitter at Southpaw underscore Slice. That's Mike McIntyre. Follow him at Pro Tennis Fan. I'm Ben Lewis. Follow me at Ben Lewis SN590. I actually watched an interesting video today, and it was the trajectory of our world rankings on the ATP side from 1990 until 2018, just seeing the jostling of the top 10 as points are accumulated. You know, you see, you go through the Edbergs and the Beckers, Agassiz and Sampras's and the changing hands of, of number one. And then there hits that turning point. Uh, we see a couple other names like Leighton Hewitt sneak in there. Andy Roddick gets in there briefly. And then there's just a turning point, 2005, and really on from 2008. It's been absolute domination uh, from Federer, Djokovic, Nadal. And with a little Andy Murray sprinkled and in there, too. And Andy Murray sprinkled in right at uh, 2016. We had a big four, you could call it as well, in terms of overall titles, who is hauling all of them. And for now, that is still the case, but we'll get to watch the young guns, uh, Denis Shapovalov. You can see him at Montpellier, his first matchup against Marcel Granollers. And then at the Sofia Open, Karen Kachanov, the number one seed, the number two seed is Stefanos Tsitsipas. I guess we'll make a little more mention of uh, Canada's Fed Cup action, which is coming up at the end of this week. It's kind of interesting that Bianca Andreescu, our youngest player there, is really our best player there. Uh, and she's going to, I think, have to do the the grunt work in terms of guiding this team singles-wise in their matchup against the Netherlands. Yeah, I love how there's more international tennis coming up for Canada this weekend. And and I like, again, how it's, uh, you know, the young guns that, that we're going to be looking to. Obviously, Dennis and Felix, we've talked to them uh, enough already tonight. But uh, Bianca is, yeah, carrying the load for the women. Uh, she's ranked just inside the top seven. And she is the number one, and for good reason, the way that she is shot out of the gates in 2019. It'll be interesting to see how she uh, carries herself as the, um, the, the best-ranked player on either sides of uh, Canada and Netherlands. Kiki Burdens is not there, mm-hmm. uh, which, is, which is good news for Team Canada. Uh, they've got depth, Netherlands, and, and Canada maybe doesn't have perhaps the, the, the same level of depth when you look at the rankings, although we do have Gabby Dabrowski, who's going to be counted on big time in doubles. And it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, Bianca's going to go in two singles matches. Who is going to get picked for the other singles matches? We've got Francoise Abanda and Rebecca Marino. And then who is going to partner up with Dabrowski? Who would be the best fit there? And that's going to be a, a challenging decision to make for Team Canada. Yeah, that will be a difficult one. I I tend to think that it will be Bianca Andreescu. If you're just maybe taking the, your top singles player, pairing it with the experienced doubles player, maybe leaning on Bianca to sort of utilize that big forehand in a setting there. Interesting, Netherlands, their their best strength here is also maybe doubles when I'm looking at the rankings. rankings Demi Schur, is, uh, she's a top 10 doubles player, seventh in the world. Gabby Dabrowski. I think she's going to have quite a bit to prove. I feel like the Australian Open uh, was, uh, I'm, I'm certainly not calling it a disappointment, but I know she sets a high standard when she goes and plays doubles and uh, didn't come through in terms of reaching a Grand Slam final or anything like that with Zhu Yifan or with Matty Pavish. So I think she's going to be aching to deliver here. I think maybe what they could be up against most is the fact that this is on the Netherlands turf on clay, so it's going to be a different experience. Yeah, the surface and the venue and the fact that, you know, this team having uh, Bianca in there who hasn't had a ton of, of Fed Cup experience, 
along with, you know, Rebecca Marino, who's back in the fold, which is wonderful for Canada. Mm-hmm. How do we play these players? How do we manage this squad? And uh, I call it almost, you know, even when I look at two teams, given all those uh, intangibles that you mentioned. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And it will be starting February 9th, which I believe is our Friday. So Friday, Saturday, the same format that uh, Canada had in Davis Cup. That will be interesting to watch. As you mentioned, no Kiki Burtons. I'll also mention Kiki Burtons picked up her eighth career title, uh, beating Donna Vekic this past weekend at the St. Petersburg Ladies Trophy. For uh, So a nice win for her. I'll I'll wrap up on the other title. We had uh, Ukraine's Diana Yastremska beating Isla Tomlanovich in three sets in the final at our other event. I'm trying to remember where that was played, but uh, before I bring that up, just an interesting sort of point of discussion here in that third set. Yastremska was trailing 5-2. to two. Sorry, this was at the Thailand Open. And down 5-2, there's no, I guess, obvious injury that is visible to someone watching, but she called a medical timeout. Of course she did, yeah. <laughs> We've seen this before. Completely regrouped, recharged, won, uh, you know, the next the next five games uh, and won, won the tiebreak and gets the title. Is that fair game? Well, it's fair game because it gets done, I guess, right? It's not the first time we've seen it. It's not the last time we've seen it. The players have that at their disposal to use if, you know, hopefully, you know, legitimately. But obviously it's questioned all the time because we see players who otherwise looked just fine going through the match. And all of a sudden, you know, your opponent's going to serve for the match. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm going to call that timeout now because I got to, I gotta, you know, it's more mental than anything. But uh, I don't know how you get around that. It's it's in the rules. They're allowed to use that. Yep. Um, I guess umpire, uh, tournament director, perhaps have a little bit of, you know, discretion in terms of how they evaluate and assess the legitimacy of those claims. It, it looks bad for sure. Uh, I know there were a lot of people calling her out over that too. Uh, young player also, you know, just, you know, learning the ropes and uh, pulling a veteran move though, I guess you could say. <laughs> you could say that. Only 18 years old. Maybe you can call it a little bit of gamesmanship. Uh, sometimes you need a little resolve from the other side, from uh, Tom Lanovich, to, to find a way to still produce a win. Look, then you have sometimes these external factors where someone is cruising away with the win and then it starts raining. You can't control that. And uh, the match shifts on a dime. Uh, Yastremska didn't do anything technically illegal, but uh, I, I saw many people weighing and criticizing her for that decision. One person made a good point, or an interesting point, I should say, uh, about managing it. Perhaps if... It's not, you know, a full-fledged injury uh, that requires obvious treatment and you're calling a medical timeout. Perhaps there should be a punishment of one point. And maybe that would make players think twice. Exactly. So would she really take the medical timeout if she's facing a love 15 as she gets on court right back from it? Anyway, we want to thank uh, Arash Madani, of course, for the tremendous coverage. You can follow him at Arash Madani and you see him all the time on Sportsnet. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre. You've been listening to the Southpaw Slice and we will talk to you again next time.